We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. We really rarely had Christmas. You know, or our Christmas gifts or our birthday gifts were like socks and underwear. You know, this is, you need this. Now, I could go buy you a Barbie, but Barbie ain't going to cover your ass after you take a shower. You got to put something on your ass. You know what I mean? This underwear will take care of that. And it's winters in Cleveland. You need socks, you know? I remember there were friends that would have these amazing Christmases and they would come to school with all their new clothes. Like, most of my clothes when I was a kid came out of a, a hefty bag. Because they were my cousins, hand-me-downs or whatever. Mm-hmm. We would get toys and trash bags. And the thing is, I was grateful for it. Like, it, it was still a Barbie. You know what I mean? So I don't want to give off the impression that I never got a new toy or I never got a new dress. I did. But that was few and far between. Because it, But the, the lights were on. We had heat. We had food to eat. We had a, a roof over our heads. And we had love. So the other stuff was the extra stuff. Yvette Nicole Brown is an actress who just makes me smile every time I see her on screen. She's been a consistently working actress for decades, doing Community with Donald Glover one day and Endgame with Robert Downey Jr. the next. I met her on Twitter and we got to talking and next thing I knew, we were at her hotel talking about how she made it and how her mother taught her to value every dollar and how it's still kind of crazy to her that the girl from Cleveland has made it in Hollywood. She's got two new projects coming up on Disney Plus in 2020, The Big Fib and Big Shot. It's the lovely and talented Yvette Nicole Brown on Toray Show. Tell me, what is the difference between a good actor and a great actor? You know, I always call myself Hacky McGee, so I don't know if I'm the right person to really talk about what makes a good actor. Hacky Um, McGee. Yeah, I think that a good actor, you know, if we're talking like a Meryl Streep or a Viola Davis type actor, their gift is that they are able to make you feel as if they are actually that person. 
Right. There, you don't see Meryl Streep or Viola Davis. You see whoever that character is. That's what a great actor is to me. A good actor is somebody that's just showing up. And get that. I mean, that's not true. A horrible actor, or, or a possibly a horrible actor, is someone that shows up just to get the check. You have to care about crafting, creating an experience for people that is outside of who you are. Now, at no point in that did I say that I am a good or a great actor. So I'm just being very clear. I just, yeah. as a fan, I can say that's what a good or great actor is. So what does it take to be a consistently working actor, which is, you can't argue that is I something do work you are. You work a lot. I will say this, um, and I think this goes not just for acting, but anything in life. I think kindness is the secret. It's not talent. It's definitely not thin thighs because trust, <laughs> that's not what it is over here. So it's really, you know, just being a decent person. I think because the hours are so long, most people want to work with nice people. And so if you show up on time and you know your lines and you're, you're kind to people, that goes a long way. So when people are thinking, oh, who are we going to have play this, this uh, meter maid? Well, you know, Yvette Nicole Brown is a really nice girl. And then it just it's from opportunity to opportunity it becomes that. I think, don't get me wrong, I think I'm a capable actor. I think that I do a decent job when I'm on set. But I think my kindness is what allows me to continue to work. Tell, let's, I want to talk about Endgame. Let's do it. You were, you, you were a real standout. You had a moment. What? Come on, man. But you you really stood out. Yeah. I mean, the face that you splash to to Iron Man in the elevator. When when the mind is clicking, you're like, you aren't supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. And there's this sort of black woman, like, detective, like, no. You know I gave her a name, right? She don't have a name. I call her Phyllis Jenkins. (laughs) She looks like a Phyllis Jenkins with that mushroom hair. Yes. (laughs) Well, talk about that because you get a couple of lines. How many lines was it? I mean, maybe three. Three lines, yeah. but you made a whole meal out of it. Thank Did you make you. a backstory? I, yeah, in my mind, like I just, just to pass the time on sex, I had a little time on sex. I was trying to figure out who she was and what her deal was. And and people have said, well, was she Hydra? She would never be Hydra. Phyllis Jenkins would never be Hydra. She's S.H.I.E.L.D. She's just good at her job. And she knows who's supposed to be in that bunker. And these two guys are not supposed to be there. And they look shifty. And he got the, the, the what did it, Mungo Jeff beard. So she looked at him and was like, this is not right. Um, and the thing is, I don't know if people, everyone knows this, but the Russo brothers who do the, the Marvel movies, they were executive producers on Community. And so oh. when they moved from Community to um, Marvel, they thought it would be funny to do like a little Community Easter egg or cameo in each film. So Danny Pudi, who has done one, Jim Rash has done one, Ken, Ken Jeong, um, Donald Glover did one. And then, you know, the call comes and you hope it's your turn. And it was finally my turn. So I was like, yes. So it just so happened that I was in the last one, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so it was it was never supposed to be a big role. I just have specialized my entire career with making a meal out of an eyebrow raise or a grunt. Like, that's what I do. If you watch Community, you guys, I don't have a lot of lines, but I will be at that table going, oh, ooh, and I'll do it in such a way that they're like, we might as well cover Yvette. She just grunted. So that's kind of what I did um, in The Avengers. I just kind of did something to make them pay attention. So are you practicing that face? like to, Or is it like <laughs> in the moment I am elastic and I am ready to it's go? It's in the moment. Like I think that's what I was talking about when, when you're talking about being uh, a good actor. And I'm again, not saying that I am, but I feel like <laughs> you when stop. you're in the moment, if you're if you really believe it, if you believe that you are in an elevator with two guys in the 1970s in a mushroom hair hair wig or whatever, you and you see something you don't that doesn't look right, your face will do something if you're really believing that you're in the moment. And so I was in that elevator with those two dudes and I didn't know why they were there. And so my face did what I would feel if I was in that situation. What does it take to like be in the moment? Like they say action and you're like really 
in it. You know, I have always had a very active imagination. I love make-believe. And when you think about it, like whenever I'm on set and it's really long hours and I'm tired and maybe a friend that's in the scene with me is feeling the same way, I kind of look at them and go, you know, we're playing make-believe for a living. Like we're grown people pretending to be other grown people in a fake room. Like that part just never is lost on me. So the actual idea of getting to just play, adults don't get to play. We don't have recess. There's not adult recess. Is that (laughs) Vegas? I don't know. But we don't have adult recess, right? (laughs) So the idea that we get to play cops and robbers as actors in a thousand different ways um, is never lost on me. So I can, you know, when you were a kid and you were playing cops and robbers, you were the cop or the robber. You were robbing a bank and somebody's coming to get you and you saw that thing. So I still am tapped into that part of my of my brain. So I, it's not hard for me to just like feel like I'm actually in that situation. So you do, I mean, a moment with mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. and um, Chris Evans. Chris Evans. How dare you not say my husband's name? Whatever. <laughs> no, we're, twi- we're Twitter betrothed. That's your name. <laughs> yes, that's, 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 that's my Twitter boyfriend. One of them is Idris Elba, if his wife doesn't mind, and Elder Barge, other ones. Elder Barge. Elder Barge. Yes, I'm taking it, it back. back. I'm you, taking it back, brother. That's are, the I mean, 80s. I mean, he a lot of women. Listen, a that lot. voice and that face and, and that the, hair. And, Come on, and, Elder Barge. And, and, and the yellow. Come on, listen, I didn't say nothing about his skin tone. I just said his you hair, his to. face, you and his voice were lovely. The 80s and light skin was in in the 80s. When was it not, though? There was a moment. Listen, Idris would have different words to say to you about that no i mean he's, no no he is he is mm-hmm. a I, I i am enough of a man yeah to be able to say he's a he's beautiful a man dude yeah you know yeah. i have i have no problem yeah. about that um um but in a moment with those two guys mm-hmm. do you see like oh i see why they are at the top of the oh 100 percent, 100 because like just in, a, in a brief second in an yeah. elevator i mean the thing is though i got to spend more time with them than that um I don't know if this is telling tales out of school, but Robert Downey Jr. does this thing when he's on set where he has lunches. Like like at lunchtime, he'll invite people for like a little dinner party. And I think he picks different guests every day and he'll maybe bring the lighting guy or it's, you know, and this day he let the the black chick playing Phyllis Jenkins come and have, you know, lunch with, with a bunch of people that are on the crew. And it's like a, a curated group of people, but it's not elite. It's not like just the superstars. It's anybody that he's like, today I want to bring you guys, come and have some dinner, I mean, some lunch. And so I got to spend a little more time with him than just that time on, you know, in the elevator. Um, I said this, I spoke to some kids at my high school recently, Warrensville Heights High School in, in Warrensville Heights, Ohio. And I told them that there's something that really kind, famous people do um, that's very disarming and everybody doesn't do it. But the kind ones who are super famous are aware that you're going to freak out. And so instead of, you know, being standoffish or being surrounded by security. I and mean, some people need it, but everybody don't. Instead of being that person with the sunglasses on, the really kind, famous people disarm you and they meet you where you are. So if you're like, oh my God, they go, hey. And so we're both excited. Right. I'm excited to see you. You're excited to see me. And then it just makes you realize we just human beings having an experience, you know? And so I think Robert Downey Jr. has been famous for so long that he's mm-hmm. aware that just being Robert Downey Jr. is enough to to really freak some people out. He doesn't allow it to happen. He comes up and goes, hi, I'm Robert. How are you doing? And so you're like, and instantly, I'm just meeting a dude named Robert who happens to be super famous, but he's just a dude. And Chris Evans is the same way. And the Russo brothers, I don't know if you ever met them. They are the kindest, most down-to-earth people. And I think it's because they're also from Cleveland. But they're just wonderful people. So they create an environment where... You're not bringing no pollutions up in here. Everybody, I know everybody famous, but calm down. When he's when they say action, mm-hmm. Robert is doing. I mean, even in a small scene, yeah. is he doing something that you're like, oh wow, you're really special? You know, 
it's hard for me to say because I'm in the moment too. So it's hard for me to look at him. If I'm aware of his Robert Downey Jr.-ness when I'm supposed to be Phyllis Jenkins, then I'm not, you're going to see on my face that I'm not there. So I can't say like I, as playing the actor that I was in that, playing the character in that scene, I felt like he was a guy breaking into a bunker. <laughs> so, and then when I watched the movie, there is something that he does in looking back at Chris Evans when the elevator's closing. So he does little subtle things. Like the really good actors do little subtle things um, that you may not see with the human eye, but when you blow it up on an 80 foot screen or however big a movie theater screen is, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe the eyebrow raise. It meant that he knew it. You know, so yeah, I'm sure he did some things that are great because you can't become that famous and that successful without having some Those skill, like little things, little, little, little niceties. Things. Yeah. Well, you, I wonder sometimes, you know, is it because they are good, great actors and obviously mm-hmm. Meryl and Viola are Ooh. clearly great actors, but some of them I'm like, is it cause you're really good looking or is it I cause mean, you're a great actor? We've seen some really good looking people that can't act though. True. You know what I mean? So I think when you become super, super, super famous, I think that there is, I mean, some people are just lit from within. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, even if you catch them on a really bad day, there's just something about them that draws you to them. And um, it can be a thousand different things. It could be their looks. It could be their their kindness. It could be their talent. But some people are just special in a way that most people aren't special. Yep. Um, and I think that a lot of those people become movie stars because there's got to be something. Like, when you think about a movie screen, there's so many things you could be paying attention to. There's cars moving, there's birds flying, there's different actors walking in the background. And why do you zero in on these two people walking down the street? And if there's two people talking, why are you looking at this one more than the other? Not even when they're not talking, there's something about them that makes you go, whew. But I wonder, and I've had that moment and I've wondered, is it partly because I've seen you a thousand times. So the eye picks up like, I don't know. oh, there's Gwyneth Paltrow for the millionth time in my life. I don't know, life. though, because I've seen commercials and my eye has gone to one person over another. And they're brand new people that I'm not used to. And it's just something about that person where you're like, ooh. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. 
Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I mean, there's two kind of yeah. stars I see. Okay. Um, some who are chameleons and yeah. can do anything. Yep. And some who are always doing the always same thing, yeah. but it's super compelling. Right. Is it, is it, do you, is it that, or is there, are there more? You know, I, I do think those are the two, the two things, like the ones that are doing the same thing, but are compelling are the ones that you just like as human beings. Mm-hmm. Like for me, and I'm not saying that this, that he is that, but Will Smith, I will watch it anything. Sure. He could, I don't care what he, uh, Instagram video. Let's do it. Will. let's do it. Is he, kind, he, he's not a chameleon, but he's, a, I think he's a little broader than the same. Every he's, time. he's broader than that, but I'm saying he's one of those people that. I just, he, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, these are three people that I just like. I just mm-hmm. like them, especially Tom Hanks and Will Smith. Like Tom Hanks and they Will Smith. They're so nice. They're just so nice sweet. people. And I've heard the same thing about Tom Cruise. I've never met Tom Cruise, but I've met Tom Hanks and Will Smith. And they both make you feel like you're the only person in the room. Now, you worked with Forrest Whitaker. I want to run through some of the stars you worked with. You worked I did. With I didn't Whitaker. do, I, I was in a film with Forrest Whitaker, but I didn't work with him. I did um, Repo Man with okay. him. I worked with um, uh, uh, Jude Law in that, but not Forrest. Okay. But yeah, big well, fan. Well, let's talk about Forrest because he's an extraordinary actor. And then we'll talk about Jude a little bit. But Brilliant. I mean, Forrest, it, it just seems there's a great, there's a there's a depth of commitment. Yes. Right. I feel like he really is the key. He, he becomes He is one of those people where he's, he's fully vested in the portrayal, which you can tell, you can tell the ones that are phoning it in and the ones that are really like have a notebook full of backstory and they know the person's, what they person's pinky toe look like and <laughs> how many times they snuck out the house when they were teenagers. Like, you know, that they have done that work. How does that help? You get seven lines, yeah. a, a 20 pages, whatever yeah. it is, and you know their childhood, their mom. Da, da, da. How does that help? I love that you're asking Hacky McGee. Um, <laughs> Hacky McGee will answer as to what she's heard. This is what Hacky McGee has heard. But you no, do I, backstory for your characters. I mean, sometimes. Like, I don't, sometimes I'm, it's such a drive-by performance that I don't have to do backstory. I just have to pretend that I'm, you know, an angry woman, you know, on a street corner. Like that's, you don't have to do backstory for that. I know what it's like to be angry on a street corner. I'm in New York right now. I know what it's like to be angry on a street corner. So I just tap into what I know to be true. Right. Um, but if you're doing like, if you're a lead in a movie and you're, 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 you know, your kid got killed and you're 
seeking revenge or something. You better know what the kid liked for breakfast. You better have some sort of connection Why? to Why? what you... Because it has to feel real to you. Like the, the reason life is real to you and I is because we have memories, right? Okay. You know, if you if, if something happened to your best friend, it affects you because you got memories with that best friend. So if you're playing someone whose best friend was murdered, you can either, this is, again, Hacky McGee, you could either <laughs> apply how you feel about your best friend and use that, or you can decide that you're going to create the memories of who you think the best friend of that person would be. Right. Or you can just show up and say your lines and hope for the best. People make choices. Well, no, you're right. Makes you're right. When, when I read in the paper that somebody died, I have, you know, a, an, an inch of feeling. Right. When my friend dies, I feel really bad exactly. because I remember all the times. All the and times you spent. I know the other people who are right. affected by that. Right. So you can create that, you're saying, and, and thus almost trick your body yeah. into having that gravity. And this is the thing, because I'm not really a studied actor. I, I heard something. I can't never remember if it was Dustin Hoffman or Richard Dreyfus. I think it was Dustin Hoffman, though. He was playing a role, I think, uh, a play. It was either Broadway or it might have been a movie. Can't I got to really learn this stuff next time I tell this story. <laughs> but there was a scene where his character had to appear at a door having run up 10, 10 flights of stairs or something crazy like that. And so before every scene, he's acting with another actor who's also very well known and whatever i promise you i'll i'll figure out what this story fully is and <laughs> tell y'all on twitter but anyway so this so dustin's in this in this scene and he's before every take he's running around the sound stage and 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 shaking and and throwing water on his face and doing everything he can to simulate 10 flights of stairs and you know he ends up having a conversation with the guy he's in the scene with and he's like man you know what do you do when you got to do something like that he said i just act like i don't have to run to do tired. I just play tired. So there's two different types of actors. I think there's the ones that have to physically be in the situation to be able to convey it. So they got to run around the block. If the, if when the door opens, they're supposed to be sweaty and tired. And there's other people that can have somebody miss their face and they go, Oh God, oh God just twin, 10 flights of stairs. Like there's a way to do it without having to experience it. But if you're that, that ladder. Yeah. The one that just gets the spray on your face. Yeah. Didn't you already do it in class or at home or something? Uh, like do you have to do tired at, in class or at home or do you just know what tired is? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's some things that you just, I just think you either, if you're a but, human being that has experienced life, then you, you know what, I but, know what heartbreak feels like. I don't have to go get my heart broken to play a, a heartbroken person on television. You don't? I don't. I'm, I got a sense memory. I Right but, now, because, but you're but you're activating. I've been bro- heartbroken right. before, right? So let me remember that and bring that forward. Right? Just haven't I, you I, been tired before? Well, sure. Why but, can't you just but, bring that forward without but, having to run up a flight of stairs? I no, I I see what you're saying, but but presenting it to the audience and having them believe it is the challenge. I think it's the challenge for some actors. I think some actors can literally just call it up. And now again, I'm in all this. I don't, I'm not an expert on acting. Anybody that's seen me act knows this, <laughs> but I'm saying that from what I know and from the, the books I've read and from the actors that I know, there's some people that just innately can just become what they need to become. And I always tell when I talk to young actors, if they ask me, well, what should I do? Should I take classes? If you feel like you need classes, take classes. If you feel like you have it under control, you don't have to take classes, but booking will tell you whether you write or not about that. You know what I mean? So if you don't want to take classes and you're not booking, you might want to take classes. Do you take classes? I don't. I, I've never taken classes. I did a, I did a, um, 
experiencing theater course in college, uh, Dr. Susan Spears, University of Akron. And then I did, I audited some acting classes when I first came out to LA. Um, but I ne- I've never been, and I'm not saying this proudly because I probably should. This is the thing. Everybody, every actor has a toolbox. Just like every singer has a toolbox. There's certain things that through repetition or singing in the shower or learning or listening to Whitney Houston records that you innately know how to do, right? But there may come a time when you got to sing a song that's outside your range or whatever. And at that point, you might need to go take some singing lessons to make sure you don't damage your voice and whatever. It's the same thing with acting. You may naturally come here knowing how to emote and how to make a character real, but there might be something that you have to do if... If I ever have a scene with Meryl Streep, I'm getting classes immediately. Like, I don't care if I'm just saying, girl, here's your coffee. I'm going to make sure I go and talk to baristas and sit with somebody and make sure it's real for Meryl. But that is me knowing that at a certain point, you reach the end of your toolbox and you might need help. So, so far in what I have been asked to do with my instrument, I have not reached the end of my toolbox yet. So I haven't been in class, but I might take classes one day and realize, wow, my whole career could have been easier had I just taken a class. So are you saying that you are... Just naturally performative, dramatic, funny, compelling to where... Compelling, I'll never say that. I do think I'm naturally funny because I'm from East Cleveland. I've been through some things. I've seen some things. So I think when you grow up in the hood, you 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 cultivate a sort... You, either you're going to end up being a killer or a comedian. That's the truth because you have to find a way to deal with what you see and what you know and what your family members have been through. And so my family chose to be funny. So everybody in my family is funny. Um, it's a couple of them killers, but nobody's a killer that I know of. I don't know. He's Cleveland's rough, but um, you know, I, I feel like I'm naturally funny that I will say that I believe I am not a comedian. I've never done stand up, but I think I naturally have a way of expressing myself. That's humorous. Um, and I feel like drama is just the other side of comedy. So I feel like if you're a funny person, you instinctively understand the beats. Comedy is uh, music to me. Like a, a, a funny joke is you can feel the room when it's supposed to, eh, right when you're supposed to hit it. It's the same thing with drama. You know, you need to know where to give and where to pull back. And so it might also be my background in music that helps me do mm-hmm. acting as well. Um, you talk about East Cleveland. Was, yeah. it, was it the hoodie hood? It was the hoodie hood. I don't know. Anybody been, if y'all listening, anybody in East Cleveland knows the hoodie hood. Y'all came from nothing. I mean, I mean, not like good times, nothing, but you know, my mom was, it was a single parent home and my mom did the best she could to make sure we had, she we do? didn't have a lot of extras. We had food and a roof. What'd over she do? Our head. She's a secretary. She worked at uh, General Electric for 32 years. I think How it was. many uh, are there of you? Oh, it's just me and my brother. Are you the older? I'm the younger. Okay. I'm the baby. Okay. Yeah. By how many years? Uh, year, two and a half. Close. Two and a half years, yeah. Close. Yeah. So was it struggling? I mean, it was, the funny thing is I didn't know how much struggling it was until I got older. My mother was very, uh, one of the things she did that, depending on your childhood, you would think this is either child abuse or the best thing ever. But whenever me and my brother would ask my mom for something, she would have us she would pull out her checkbook and she would bring all the bills to the table and she would sit us down and she'd go, let's do some math. And she would add up all the bills and then she'd show us her paycheck and she said, which is bigger? The bills. Okay, so what, did, what was that you wanted again? Now, some people hear that story and they go, oh my God, it's so mean. No, no. that no. She taught me the no, what, what money is. She taught me what how important it was to, to make choices. Mm-hmm. You know, from the, uh, the beginning of my life, my mother um, equipped me and my brother to understand that every action has a reaction Mm -hmm. and it's either good or bad depending on what decision you made and there are consequences to every decision and she made it clear to us that we could do whatever we wanted 
But what we did could affect the family structure. And she called us the three musketeers and she said, we are all working together to keep this thing afloat. So please do not be a hindrance to what we are trying to do. So from the time we were kids, we were very, we, we always, we, um, we knew how to clean the house. We knew how to make our own meals. We were latchkey kids. So we let ourselves into, into the house in the afternoon. From how old? I mean, I mean, second grade. Cause our school, my school was right down the street. So my brother and I would walk from school to home and let ourselves in. I was, I was, um, seven, he was nine and we were, we would stay in the house. We never went out in the streets. We stayed in the house till my mother came home or the, um, you know, so it was, it was a very, I was a very responsible kid. Me and my brother was so responsible that my mom, we would go to the mall and she had to go to Woolworths or something. That's, that's how old I am. Woolworths are still around. Mm -hmm. And she would sit us outside of Woolworths, just outside. And we would not leave. We would not run. We would not go into Woolworths. We would literally sit wherever she told us to sit. And I remember one time there was this kid wilding out, like acting up. And the kid was me and my brother's age. And we were like, I don't know why he is just so unruly. Like, we just didn't understand why this kid couldn't get himself together. So he... it literally was that type of childhood where she really instilled in us responsibility. And it's the same responsibility I have now. Like I don't bounce checks. I am in, we had, we were meeting here at nine o'clock. What time was I here? 840? Early. I don't play. I don't want anybody ever waiting for me. I am never going to be the problem. My goal is to be an asset, never a liability. And that's something my mother instilled in me. Mm. So yeah. That, so that Bill's story is really powerful. Ain't that real? And my parents hid all that stuff oh, from me that no. happened backstage. Mm -hmm. We did not, we were no. not taught that. We knew all of it. And it took me a long time in my life to uh, get the right mindset around that mm -hmm. because I looked at money as something to have fun with mm -hmm. and I resented paying the bills. Woo. And I got older like recently yeah. and realized the money is to pay the bills yep. and whatever little that's you have the left fun. over, that's the fun you can stuff. have fun, but that's secondary. That's secondary. It took me a long, and my parents, you know, they didn't give me that. Your mom. She gave me that. Gave you that, yeah. which is really powerful. And I'm going to tell you this even deeper. Uh, this goes also, it's depending on your childhood. It's either child abuse or the greatest thing ever. We really rarely had Christmas. And she would make it very clear, like, you know, or our Christmas gifts or our birthday gifts were like socks and underwear. You know, this is, you need this. Now I could go buy you a Barbie, but Barbie ain't going to cover your ass after you take a shower. You got to put something on your ass. You know what I mean? This underwear will take care of that. And it's winters in Cleveland. You need socks, you know? So it, it, I would, I remember there were friends that would have these amazing Christmases and they would come to school with all their new clothes. Like there was a long time where most, most of my clothes when I was a kid came out of a, a hefty bag. Because they were my cousin's leftovers, uh, I mean, uh, hand-me-downs or whatever. Mm -hmm. We would get toys in, in, in trash bags. And the thing is, I was grateful for it. Like, it, it was still a Barbie. You know what I mean? So I don't want to give off the impression that I never got a new toy or I never got a new dress. I did. But that was few and far between. Because it, But the, the lights were on. We had heat. We had food to eat. We had a, a roof over our heads. And we had love. So the other stuff was the extra stuff. I never went to school dirty. I always had clean clothes on. My hair was always combed. Like she took care of us in the what you need to survive, right? And it taught me that what I need to survive is food right? and a, and, and a clean home and, and, and a home, right? Let me, let me dig because you said... I seen some stuff and yeah. the way you've described it, we didn't have much, but we had love yeah. and we had laughs and we yeah. had each other. And I don't hear, I seen some stuff. 
Well, like, I mean, I may your... not tell everything I didn't see, but East Cleveland, there's, no, there's, drug, there's to... drug use. There's there's people that died. I have a cousin that was a drug dealer that was murdered. Like, I've seen some stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But in my mind, I don't know that telling the gritty black story is what is going to <laughs> uplift anybody. You know what I mean? Know that I've overcome. But it's your reality. It is my reality, but it was it's my past. It's not my reality. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the thing is, I've overcome it. And my family has overcome it and we are stronger as a unit because of the things that we survived. And, you know, I think that I think there's a time and place for our gritty story, but I don't know that our gritty story, because it's so universal for a lot of people. I don't know how. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free hearing that I went through it too to that extent is really going to bring anybody higher just know that I did I survived it and I'm here talking to you right where's now. mom now she's in LA right now with my dad she's watching my dad she I take care of my dad you moved her she moved herself I moved to LA first and then she wanted to, the whole family kind of came out west after that wait a minute you said it was a single parent mm-hmm so dad was living elsewhere yeah he was in my life but they were divorced from the time I was like one years but old. but he was in your life oh yeah oh yeah my dad's a good man I want to jump to the end of community and then go backwards sure. because community, as far as I can see, seems like the best job you ever had, right? You had 75 episodes on that. I did 99 episodes, 99, 97, and- 99 total, but 97 on, on NBC of community. I mean, you know, that, that that's, that's, a good, that's crazy. That's a good that's, job. That's a good job. Yeah. Primetime mm-hmm. network, mm-hmm. but you chose to walk away yeah. to take care of dad. Take care of my papa. Yeah. He has dementia. Wow. Yeah. So I went to, it's funny. And I waited, I did not break my contract. I think people think I did, but community got canceled. So when it got canceled on NBC, two days later, I was in Cleveland packing my dad up and moving him out to LA. And then after that, uh, Yahoo screen picked up community. And so I was like, I've just changed my life. I got my dad. The hours of community were notoriously like everyone knows how horrible the hours were on community. So we were doing 16 hour days, five days a week. So that was 80 hour week. And I just could not take care of a man with dementia and work an 80 hour week. So um, I asked Sony if they would release me from a contract because apparently the once we got canceled, there was still a year left on our um, original contracts. Mm-hmm. So 
as long as Sony, who owned the show, re-upped us in enough time, it's like a time, a window or whatever, then we had to complete the contract. I thought I would have to beg, but they were kind enough. Dan Harmon and Sony were kind enough to understand the situation and they released me. Was it hard for you? Was that like, no, I have to. The easiest decision I made. I have to go. Anyone that knows me knows I could give two craps about fame and and fortune and that kind of stuff. Like I want enough money to pay my bills and I want enough uh, success to keep working, but I'm not someone that cares about being anybody's number one or being on the cover of magazines. Stuff like that doesn't matter to me. And to me, uh, family's first. So if I would have foregone taking care of my dad because I'm on a show, I don't even think I'd be the person that you'd want to talk to on a podcast. You know what I mean? Like I, I had to make the decision to take care of my father and I I was prepared to, to break the contract and be sued if I had to, because he needed me. So I took a lot of flack and I've talked about this before and I will never understand it. I took so much flack from the fans and I was like, really? You don't understand why I'm taking care of my dad? Like it was so like weird to me that they were mad at me for leaving their favorite show to take care of my dad. I was like, yeah, this is a character issue you guys have to deal with for yourselves because this is, yeah. y'all, well, something else, something is deficient in who you are. I, do? I don't know what they thought I was going to do, but uh, they found out what I was going to do. So, Does he know it's you? Or mm-hmm. is he- yeah, my dad's in a good place. His, you know, his dementia's great. No, my dad, um, he always knows me. So whenever I leave, if I have to leave and go to the grocery store or something, or when I'm coming back in, I go, hey, daddy. If he says, hey, Yvette, I'm like, good. I'm not fooling myself into believing that one day he will not say, hey, vet. But up until this point, every day he said, hey, vet. But I'm with him almost. But not much more. I don't know. Dementia is unwieldy. I could, he could be like this for another 20 years. He could be like this for another 20 days. I don't, no, I don't I mean, know. Like, like, I know my dad mm-hmm. was losing his mind, I guess, uh, toward the end. Mm-hmm. And- is it Alzheimer's dementia? He had that? Yeah, we didn't, my sister's a doctor and she didn't, she didn't, she would defer on the A word. Yeah, I don't like it either. But, yeah. but you know, it was, you know, he, we would come in and it would be like, he would say, hey, and he clearly recognized me and he mm-hmm. would say my wife's name, but there wasn't really much else that How he How long would did he say. have it? Oh, I mean, there was a downward spiral of several years. And was he on medication? No. You know, when I really first noticed it, it was, I can't remember how long, it might've been 10 years before the end, but like he taught me how to play backgammon Mm -hmm. and we played for hours Mm -hmm. all the time and he was really good and he came to my house and like we would just play backgammon and he came one year and I set it up and he started moving bizarrely and he was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like- That's the first sign you had? Yeah, well, I'd seen little things before that, but this is yeah. the clear, like, what do you Whoa. mean you don't know what to do? Yeah. We've spent, like, thousands of hours doing this. Yeah. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then, and then I was like, oh. Something's, yeah, that, I had a moment like that with my dad. It was, um, this is before he was diagnosed. He was still even working, still driving. I had visited Cleveland. I was at my Aunt Mickey's house, and he was coming to Mickey's house to pick me up. My dad has come to my Aunt Mickey's house for 30 years and he kept getting lost on the way to Mickey's house. He was turning off of streets and he would call me and go, Yvette, I'm on this street. I'm like, daddy, what are you doing on that street? That's nowhere near where she lives. And so I was baffled. Like, what are you doing, dude? Right. And then, but we didn't know. We didn't know. Um, but medication, you said your dad wasn't on medication. Medication right. slows it down. Like really? it, 
his medication not only slowed it down, it brought him back. Cause my dad was like almost catatonic when I went to get him. And then once he got on medication, he came, he was like reborn. So wow. medication could have- too. He was, I took the train to Boston for mm. some reason and he was supposed to pick, instead of driving and he's supposed to pick me up. Yeah. The train station, which was like 10 minutes from their house, yeah. he'd been shuttling back and forth yeah. there for 25 20 years. years yeah. And like an hour late, I'm like, mom, he still hasn't come. And she's like, all right, well, I'll come get you. And then two hours later, he still hasn't come home and we can't get him on the phone. And we're like, what is going mm-hmm. on? Um, and he had turned off on some wrong street, right? And, yeah. And he finally came home and was like, I got lost and I couldn't get out of it. I'm like, you've been living in Boston for yeah, that's, it's, that's, 50 those are signs. years. Those and are like, signs. what do you mean you didn't get, you know, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Those yeah. are signs. Um, let's go back to now-ish. Jude, okay. Jude Law. Okay. Yeah. You, that's way, that's still way back. You, you still in the early 2000s. <laughs> well, I mean like the, 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 the event Nicole Bar that we know, yeah. cause we went into your, uh, right. your, okay. your, yeah. your family life yeah. that we don't okay. know. Okay. Um, and you worked with, he, I with did, him. I did work with Jude Law. Yeah. What was that like? Jude Law is awesome. Um, it was a movie called Repo Man. That's the one that Forrest Whitaker was in as well. And I played like a, <laughs> Is that is one of my resume uh, uh, items that I'm still like? How did I get this movie? Um, I'm like a resistance fighter in the future, <laughs> and I got on like a Florida Evans wig from Good Times, yes. and they put a fake scar on my face, and you know I've been like leather. I don't know. I don't know how I got that gig, but um, <laughs> I have to put it. I got a gun and I put it to Jude Law's head and and his temple, and I'm menacing. I, I still don't know how I got it, but Jude Law and I had a great conversation in the makeup trailer because his kids were Drake and Josh fans, which is one of the first things I ever did. And uh, so we had a nice conversation about, you know, Drake and Josh, which again, going back to a famous person disarming you to meet someone, you know, that you're a fan of and they go, Oh my God, my kids love you. It completely evens the playing field and totally. you're able to just have like a real, and I ran into him. I was doing mom uh, on the uh, Warner brothers lot and he was doing a movie I don't know what movie it was, but it was another futurist because he was in leather <laughs> with a Florida Evans wig on. No, but he was, you know, looking like a resistance fighter. And he remembered me. And it's been like, you know, 15 years or so since we did Repo Man. But he was like, oh, I remember you. I was like, hey, dude. He was like, he was, I was like, how are your kids? So, Who's not going to remember oh, you? Oh, listen, many, many. Did you work with Eddie Murphy? I did a <laughs> drive-by acting. Um, I did a movie. <laughs> he was had a movie called Meet Dave. I played an old Navy worker. And my line was, welcome to Old Navy. And then it's a shot of Eddie Murphy as the as the robot looking at me crazy. But yeah, I, I acted with Eddie Murphy. What was that like? He's really, um, and I heard this about really funny people. He's not on, like he he conserves his energy. So you expect Eddie, but hey, Eddie's like, hi, I'm Eddie. Nice to meet you. He's very reserved, very, very low key and reserved. And um, everyone that I know that has met him has said the same thing, which I think is great. Like Eddie is not a trained carnival barker. He doesn't have to perform for me. So I kind of love that he was just himself, you know, sits quietly when they say we need you, Mr. Murphy, he gets up and does his thing. He goes back and sits quietly. Kathy Bates is like that too. She sits quietly. Williams is like that. Yeah. And it threw me off. I went to interview him and he, his energy was so low. Yeah. That I was like, what is going on? Is yeah. something the matter? Am I no. upsetting no, you? No, not at all. It's like, no, no, I'm not performing now. I'm just talking. I'm right just myself. Now. And they all are them. Like I, I understand it now because I'm I'm working right now in New York and I'm doing a lot of shows in a day, and I have to be hey, you got to be that on the show, and I just don't have the energy to do that 
to the guy kind enough to open the door for me as I leave my hotel. Mm. So when I leave, it's like, thank you. Thank you, sir. You know, instead of, hey, you know, <laughs> nobody has that much, that many reserves of energy. So you got to kind of kind of power down and save it. I know your community fans are probably like, get to community. Come we talked on. a little bit about community. A little bit. Did you have any idea that Donald <laughs> Glover would like? Absolutely. Absolutely. I knew it. I, I could see it. Donald Glover, and I, I sound like a broken record because I've said this so many times. Um, one, I adore him as a human being. Like he's just one of the most sound soul wise human beings I've ever met. He knows who he is at a soul level um, and can't be moved from it, which is great. Uh, not swayed by fame or anybody's opinion of him. He's just truly a solid human being. But aside from that, he's also the singularly most talented human being in every creative area I have ever met. Now, well, the disclaimer I will say is that I've never met, I never got to meet Prince and I never got to meet Michael Jackson. So I don't want anybody at me talking about, what about Prince? I never met Prince. Of the people I've met, Donald Glover, he can dance, he can sing, he can write, he can draw, he can bake, he can crochet. He can rap. He can rap. Really he, well. He can sing. I love his music. He's great with physical comedy. He, There is no creative endeavor that I have found that Donald Glover cannot do. And so I saw that in him from the first day on the set of Community. I He's also the most uh, effective user of time I've ever seen. So whenever they would say cut, remember 16 hour days on Community, they would yell cut. And I would go to the craft services department and get donuts, ate myself into diabetes on the set (laughs) of community. That's how I use my time. And as you watch the show and I balloon and wait, you know that that's the truth. Donald Glover, they would say cut. He would pick up his his computer and start writing. He would pick up um, a pad of paper and start writing uh, lyrics. He used effectively every nanosecond of time he had. He barely sleeps. Like I, I, he's a machine. He's a creative machine. Wow. Yeah. That's a shame I don't like him. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I absolutely adore him. That show yeah. was so amazingly creative mm-hmm. in terms of taking the form of the sitcom and just bending it and mm-hmm. twisting it in all kinds yeah. of ways. And I remember when the was the claymation mm-hmm. episode, I was yeah, like, these people will just do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's there was, the so mind there was of just, Dan- just tremendous freedom. Yeah, that's Dan Harmon. That's the mind of Dan Harmon and um, Chris McKenna over there, um, the Russo brothers also. There was a lot of people that just thought, let's just do something, but mainly Dan Harmon, let's just do something wacky and crazy. And since NBC wasn't really paying attention, <laughs> we kind of were able to just kind of, you know, every week just kind of do something. I think they were acutely aware that Dan Harmon was such a genius that they were like, let's let this guy go and see what he does. And we just were able to do so many different things. I mean, just this extraordinary cast mm-hmm. of people from Donald, who's mm-hmm. was this rising star, mm-hmm. right? Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. who was this old school. I mm-hmm. mean, like just this amazing collection yeah. of folks. Yeah. No, it was, it was an embarrassment of riches. The thing that made the hours... Uh, palatable were were each other having the chance to be in that room with those creative people that we all knew everybody was going to do something like we didn't know what, but we knew everybody. And, and some of them you still haven't yet seen 
what they will do. Um, I think Gillian Jacobs is going to become a really amazing director that people are going to be really aware of later. Um, she's already gorgeous and a great um, actor mm-hmm. as well, but she's got an eye and an attention to detail and is probably one of the most well-read people I have ever met. She always has a book, is always discovering a new thing. And I think that that interest and that eye she has is going to serve her well as a director. You missed that? The community of community? I do. Um, but we got so much of it. <laughs> I think we got enough stored up, all of us, for the rest of our lives. It's a lot of time together. Um, we done did that. We done did that. But we're, you know, I do hope that one day we get to do the movie. Everyone wants the movie. We want to do the movie. But, I mean, if you got you got um, Allison Brie doing movies and doing Glow. And you got Jim Rash directing and winning Oscars and acting. And Joel, stand-up. It's like everyone is doing something. So trying to get everybody together again would yeah. be, you know. It would be hard, I mm. imagine, to get Donald to step down from all that he's doing. I don't know if it would be a step down. Not, not, I, not, no, 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 no. I know you didn't mean like that, but I'm saying, I, what I mean, it. I'm saying it in the sense of it's not like he could not find, but schedule the time. You see what I mean? So it's not like he's on this mountaintop creating all this stuff and he has no control of his schedule. Like, sure. I think that if people told him in enough advance notice, like we're going to do it at the end of 2020, then he would be like, okay, I got, I, I, I got three weeks at the end of 2020. So if you can schedule my stuff at, you know what I mean? It would have to be that kind of thing. You know, look at Ken Jung and mass singer. There's so much stuff going on. Everybody's doing so much stuff, <laughs> so much stuff, <laughs> things, a lot of things. Is there a big difference between um, acting for film versus TV? You know, I haven't done enough films to really, I mean, I've done a lot of films, but I haven't done enough acting in films. I've been in a lot of them, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I'm not <laughs> acting, I tell you I'm it's a drive-by, I'm just there, man. I'm there. <laughs> drive-by. They're saying like one line and yeah, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, I I think that the, the difference would probably be what I am called to do with my face because my face is very rubbery. And again, an 80 foot screen or I think I'm not saying it big and I think a screen is bigger than that in a theater, but that huge screen with what my face does is not good. So I have to like, Isn't that lo- what you want? No, you don't want to be on a film screen. You don't want to be huge. You want to be huge. Like on Broadway, you want your face to do a lot. Maybe on TV, you want your face to do a little bit, but you do not want your face doing a lot on a film screen. That's too, that's too big of a canvas for the stuff that my face does. So you want to be more subtle. Yeah. You know, that, you know, there's a, I have really big eyes, right? So if I do, if I let my eyes do what my eyes can do on a big screen, then it's Yvette's in a minstrel film. Why is he, <laughs> Yvette Brown has set black people back and all I did was show a surprise, but the way my face is, so you got to be aware of that kind of stuff. At least I, I am. Aware. I see now that you explained it the way you did about film, I see what you mean about like old film, mm-hmm. like before we were around, right. it, it was bigger. Right. And and now you want to be more yeah, realistic. It's, yeah, it's more realistic. There's a place for it. Like if you're doing a, a broad comedy, you get someone like Jim Carrey in The Mask. Yeah, you're supposed to pull your face. That's and and Jim Carrey yeah. as as a as an artist is more is bigger. But if you're talking about some heartfelt drama, you can't be like, hey, guys, it's just not. <laughs> Bring it down. You had a 10, I need a three. Give me a three. You had a 10, I need a three. Give me a three. Um, you're in The Office. I was in The Office. That show was awesome. You're getting some deep album cuts, man. This is it's like some B-sides. <laughs> um, it's like a single. Um, <laughs> take it back. Casingles! Casingles! Oh my God. Yeah, what's, the fir- what's the first cassette you bought? First cassette I bought was probably, mm, probably Whitney Houston. Ooh. Um, her first album. 
Ooh. Yeah, I think that was the first cassette really? I bought. Yeah, I have it on al- 14, right? Yeah, I have it on an album. Don't be trying to get, guess sorry. my age. I'm sorry. I wasn't I'm 14 sorry. when Whitney came out. I'm I was sorry. nine. Um, I was a little wee baby when she I came rem- out. No, I was remember. Was I in first grade when Whitney save, came out? Saving All My Love. Yeah. And I remember, Mom, what is she talking about? And she's like, well, she's the other woman. She's, my mother never told me. Really? My mother never oh. told me. I, a friend at school told me what that meant in second grade. Because <laughs> I was in second grade when Whitney Houston came out. As a I baby. remember leaving school mm-hmm. at risk of expulsion. And, it, and the risk of actually getting caught was low. But yeah. if you did, I could have been expelled mm-hmm. to buy the cassette of Run DMC's second well, See, Tougher Than Leather was the third album. You got to tell these kids. You got to tell. Rock was second album. You got to tell these kids. We had to leave school to buy albums because if you did not, they would be sold out. And they only they came out on a certain day. Day one, you had to go on that Tuesday. On that Tuesday, because remember it was Tuesday, Tuesday. It was release day. That's right. And you had to go on that Tuesday and hope that by the time you got there, everybody else hadn't already bought it. Well, I wanted to be the first one to have it. Oh, you had that thing, that ministry. Yeah. Okay. Which, which you know, now that's not a thing because everybody has everybody access gets to it, it right immediately. Away. Yeah. But no, I wanted to be the first one bumping new Run DMC at school. That's what's up, Peter Piper. I knew it already. That's what's up. That's day what's up. one. You did it right. Mm-hmm. So what? What else? What what were you buying on cassette? On cassette, I mean anything new edition. Yes. Oh, I love new edition so much. Yes. Debarge. That was album. The Debarge was an album. Um Yeah, I bought a lot of like R and B. Like I was I was a old I was an old soul, so I liked Luther. I liked Anita Baker. I was a kid like rocking Anita Baker. Um but, Anita but I think everybody kind of was though, right? She's rap. so great. Oh my god. This was crazy. Like I'm friends with her now, and I can't wow. my mind still can't wrap around the fact wow. that I could call Anita Baker and be like, hey girl. Wow. See, you said cause single and you got me <laughs> off the office. Sorry, let's go back to the office. But the office. Office. Yeah, I did one episode. That was a great show. Me and Dwight Schrute. At Staples, the character's name was Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in the office. Great I mean, experience. Why? Um, just because Rain Wilson is hilarious, and it's the office. And you know, sometimes you get you book jobs, and you're like, "This is going to put coin in my pocket for the rest of my life because it's such an iconic show, and it's going to be in syndication forever." Mm. And then to get to work with Steve Carell it was a real quick moment with him, but I got to work with him and he was really sick when I wrote, worked with him. He had the flu and he came into work and was like quietly dying on the sidelines and they would say action. He'd come in and all of a sudden he would come back to life from sudden to certain death. Um, but even in the midst of that, he made sure that I felt welcomed on set and, um, Rain Wilson, same thing. Just when you, when you're visiting as a guest actor, sometimes it can be really a rough road because especially if the show's been on a long time, everybody's tired and they, they, you know, so for people to take time to come over and go, hi, how are you? I'm so-and-so. Thank you for coming. This is where craft services is, where the bathrooms are. Like that's really nice. And a lot of stars don't do that. And, um, uh, Steve Carell does, um, I envision yeah. rain as really intelligent and really creative. And also very kind though. He's very, very kind and very, um, very aware of other people. He's not in a bubble. He's aware that you're there and he's, you know, he wants, he, sh- and he shares in a scene he shares with you. Okay. You keep talking about kindness. So let's talk about. Kindness curb, is important. Curb your enthusiasm. Yes. What about, why Larry did, why, David. Yes. Loved him. Larry David, kind. Larry David is maybe not His kind. Character, 
not kind. Yeah, yeah. It's like you. He's not his character, though. Right, of course. And I can say this: the best, the best anecdote from that set was, and I don't know what it's like now, but when they did it back then, this was one of the first things I ever did. So, like trial by fire for real to be working with Larry David, but um, not because of his temperament. He's a lovely guy, but because he's so funny and the show was so. It's not scripted. So you're making comedy in the moment. I don't know how I did it to this day. I don't know how I did it. I don't even know how I booked it. What'd they tell you it would, to go into the scene? What, what'd they give you? They give you a slip of paper um, and it says what the objective of the scene is. So right. I got a slip of paper that said, um, Larry, I can't remember what the slip of paper said. I was playing a stewardess and it was, it either said something like, you, the plane needs to take off and Larry will not move his seat up and you have to get him to move the seat up. <laughs> it was either that or it was... That's it. it, it that's, that'll be it. So you can say whatever you want within the confines of that. Your goal is to get him to put that seat up, right? The audition process for Curb, and again, this was 15 years ago, so I don't know what it is now. It's you and Larry David in a room with whoever the director is and you're just doing improv with Larry David. Me and Larry David did an improv for 30 minutes a comedic improv, just saying the craziest things to each other in, in a reality space. Like you're, you're not going and then the spaceship landed, like you're staying based in reality. And, um, you know, you walk out of the audition going, even if I don't get the job, <laughs> like was this fun. was awesome. Um, and so then you get on the set and back then Larry felt that the best way to, um, create that comedy on the spot is he wanted everybody to spend time together. So, there was one trailer and it was me, Larry David, Jeff Garland, David Schwimmer. Oh. And I think Katie Hoffman was the, the Broadway actress. So the five of us, or I did the math. I don't know if I put myself in there. We were all in one trailer. I was the only non-millionaire in that trailer. And they were just talking about millionaire things. And I was just like, yeah, I shop at Target. Like it was really like a serious, they were lovely, but I mean, what am I going to talk to these, you know, rich, famous people about? When you say that, Doing one episode of The Office, you'll eat forever. Mm-hmm. But but the check is small. I mean, the check winds down, but I mean, twenty bucks is still twenty bucks. That's sure. a that's a happy meal but and you, some fries. <laughs> so a check for twenty dollars may just show up from randomly for the rest of my life. I'll get money from the office every time it, it re ups into syndication. And this is just me doing one episode. I can't even imagine how well everyone that was on the office is doing. And it's not like thousands of dollars, but it's you know, in the beginning it was a few hundred, and now it's maybe it might be like fifteen dollars now when I get a check. But that's still fifteen dollars you weren't expecting right right that's $15 from work I did back in 2005 or something that's crazy right. I'm still getting $15 for that yeah the work I did in 2005 is not paying that's what I'm saying anything. nothing else I did in 2005 paying <laughs> I watched every episode of Entourage you did what did you do on Entourage it, nothing this you you went back to the very beginning of my career I played a variety salesman um they um Kevin was Kevin was the the manager. The manager. Right? Yeah. Kevin called in to put an ad in Variety for um, the lead guy. I'm, I'm blanking on everybody's Adrian name. Grenier. Adrian, thank you, Adrian yeah. Grenier. So he was calling to um, to put an ad in Variety, and my character was like, "Well, you know, I can't put nothing in Variety unless I got the manager's uh, the, the the actor's approval." And he's like, "Well, I'm his manager. I said you gonna send some talent papers." She said, "I don't have talent. You represent Kevin, uh, Mr. Chase, and you don't have talent papers." It was that. And we shot it in the actual variety offices on Wilshire. And that at the was time. the first season. That was no, that was like maybe second season. Okay. 
Yeah, because he was managing him by then, and he was doing well enough. He was trying to, I think he was about to be Aquaman or something around that time. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was a drive-by. I was in there, for, I was just there for a few hours that day. For sure. <laughs> it's a cute scene, though. I, it was on my reel for a long time, because okay. it was Entourage. I feel like it's 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 deep within you, because you just started to... No, I remember it, because it was on my reel for so long, and it's mm. a funny scene. Like, she really, she really nailed that guy. He was really like, what? Do you audition? Like, all the time? Still? Um... I will audition. I don't have to audition as much as I used to. I don't have the time to audition as much as I used to, but... Um, but they know you now. I think enough people know me now where I don't have to necessarily audition. I will, though. There's some actors that won't. I will. If they want me, if they want to see me, I will show put on the, the khaki pants and the <laughs> button-up shirt, and I'll go right in there. I mean, I, I think a billion people saw Endgame. Does it change the career in terms of having like a lot of people say... Oh yeah, she's fun. Let's think about her. You mean uh, uh, content creators and people in the know? You know, I don't really know if it changed my trajectory with those people because I feel like I was pretty well placed already with the people that make decisions like that. I think anyone that is casting someone that's like me is aware of me. Now, whether they think I'm the right person for the role or not is something else. Um, I think being in Avengers Endgame, what that does is it validates me because it takes a, it's a lot of approvals to end up on a Marvel set, especially a you know Disney Marvel set. It takes it's a lot of people have to say yes to you for that to happen. So um, I think that they know that I'm approved by important people, so it makes them easier to go. We could probably put her in a movie. She's been in a big movie. So advice yes. for younger sisters who mm-hmm. want to be in the business and mm-hmm. want to work. What do you tell them? Um, it's the same advice I'd give anybody in any career. Uh, don't be the hindrance. Don't be the reason someone has to struggle or fight for anything. Be the answer. Be the be the be the solution to whatever the problem is. Be on time. Be professional. Be kind. Know your craft. Um, live below your means. Always. I still live below my means. If you <sighs> are so no, it's so important. If you are a a series regular, live like a guest star. If you're a guest star, live like a co-star. If you're a co-star, live like a stand-in. If you're a stand-in, live, live like a um, a background actor. It's so it's the best advice I can give anybody. So if you if I'm a series regular, I still don't buy anything that a guest star actor would not buy. Now I might treat myself when I book the gig, but as far as balling out of control, I don't ball out of control because the goal is to only work when you want to, not when you have to. And if you ball out of control, you will always be working to, to pay bills, to maintain that lifestyle. So it goes back to what my mom said. Like, I know I can do math. I know what my bills are and I know what I bring in. And with acting, even if you're a series regular, you don't know how long the show's going to last. Right. You may get a, you may get picked up, but you, are you going to make a full season? If you make a full season, you're going to get a second. So you can't live like you're on your 10th season of a sitcom on CBS. You ain't, you ain't Big Bang Theory until you are Big Bang Theory. Oh, my God. They were making a million Oh, man. So much money. God. I'm saying. So you got to live like you're not that even when you are for a little while. But for us, sometimes we run into that moment when, you know, somebody's not treating us right. Black people? Yeah. Yeah. And you feel like I got to stand up for me or for us and then you run the and and you might do it in a polite way, mm-hmm. but then others are like, "Oh, you're making a problem." This is my thought about that. Um, this is the other reason why you live below your means. Sometimes you got to stand up for yourself, and you always need to stand up for your people. If y'all follow me on Twitter, y'all know I I don't care. 
I'm I'm saying it because I can. You know, I I am a I have a college degree. I'm a legal secretary by trade, and McDonald's is always hiring. Those three things will never change. You can't go back to McDonald's. I, if I have to, if if it was like Yvette, stand up against, uh, stand up for Black Lives Matter, and lose your job. Doing it. I'm doing it. I, I'm not selling out my people to stay on TV. I had a work situation once where I was the only black person in the room mm-hmm. and a black person above all of us mm-hmm. had said, we're going to do a black history month thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody else in the room was kind of snickering about like black history. Month. This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so you're disrespecting black history month. Yep. And the and black that person guy. And that guy. above. Right. I happen to be a woman actually. Yeah. Right. Who said, that chick, yeah. right. And I'm like, this is too much. Mm-hmm. And I said something. Good for you. And they said, um, when is white history month? Oh, geez. And I said, that's every month. Good for you. But, ev- but then like that, like killed the conversation. Like he's a problem again. Yeah. And like everybody walked away from that moment going, oh, he's so difficult. You know what? I kind of wear difficult as a badge of honor. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I, I've earned the right to be difficult on other people's behalf. I very rarely stand up for myself. I very rarely um, fight for myself. Even if you see on Twitter, I'm not someone who's like, well, someone was mean to me. I could care. If you look at my pinned tweet right now, you can see how much I care about what people think of me. But if someone is coming for my people, if somebody's coming for women, if somebody's coming for a marginalized group, if somebody's coming for little brown babies in cages right now, Mm. um, I'm standing up. And I don't care if you at my employers, I don't care if you call me everything but a child of God, I will be on the right side of history when all this nonsense is over. And I pray that it's soon. I will never stay quiet when something is wrong. Mm. Never. So anybody that thinks, and I hope my everybody that wants to ever hire me is listening. If you think that I'm going to bite my tongue when I see injustice, you are incorrect. Mm. So don't hire me. I'm telling you right now, whoever's listening, do not hire me if you need me to be quiet. I am going to speak up always. I'm going to do it with comedy and I'm going to do it as politely as I possibly can because I believe truth and love is the best way to do things. But I will speak up. What is your What are your goals for your future? Um... <laughs> My only goal is peace and contentment, to be honest. And I, whatever place I can find that, if that's within this industry, great. If it's outside of this industry, great. If it's in a compound like Howard Hughes, great. Like I just, my goal is to just be okay and for everybody else to be okay. I'm not very ambitious. Um, I've done so much in my career because I just don't say no, because I just feel like it's kind of like the Samuel Jackson model. Like if they meet my quote, and it's not something that I'm personally morally against. I'm gonna say yes to it. if it's if it fits the schedule and my mama can watch my daddy. I'm gonna say yes. That's just <laughs> what it is, you know. So it's not like I don't have like within ten years I'd like to. I don't have dreams like that. But it's funny if I were to look back over the last ten years, I've accomplished more than a little kid from East Cleveland ever thought was even possible. So I'm just gonna keep on saying yes whenever God puts something in front of me, and just you know pray that I continue to be a blessing to people and. um that that I end up that I'm that I'm not a hindrance. Like it just really always comes back to that. I, f- I feel like you've already 
kind of answered this question in your own way, but I want to ask it just to sure. see what happens. Um, cause you've been so generous in terms of your advice yeah. about the things that really have, have propelled you. Mm-hmm. But I always ask everybody, what is your superpower? When I mean, you talk about, you know, a girl from East Cleveland yeah. who did not dream about acting, yeah. who did not take classes, Mm-mm. Hacky McGee, Hacky McGee has had a 25 year career, career working pretty consistently mm-hmm. on all different sorts of mm-hmm. medium, was in one of the biggest films of the year, yeah. had a very memorable moment in that <laughs> film and we could go on. Um what is your superpower? What is the thing in you that has that is special that has propelled you through all of this to be who you are? I don't stay heartbroken long. Mm. Yeah, I think this business has a lot of rejection and a lot of heartbreak, and I just don't let it get me down. My natural set point is joy as a rule. I just always float back to joy. Now, I can be Schlepprock, I can be Eeyore, but it's only for like, you know, six hours. You know, I'm not someone I, 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 I'm a venter, but not a brooder, if that makes sense. So I will feel it. I get it out of me and then it's gone. It's so gone that I may not even remember that it bothered me before. You know what I mean? So I just don't, I just try to stay on the sunny side of the street. So I think the fact that I'm resilient and I don't let life's slings and arrows destroy me. I think that's probably my superpower. And then within that, I really do think kindness matters. And I really, I do my best to be a decent human being. I really want people to leave me better than they came. Mm. And that's daily. I don't care who the person is. The person handing me a bagel tomorrow morning as I go to work, I want them to be like, oh, nice lady. I enjoyed handing her that bagel and schmear. It was a nice part of my day. Thanks to Yvette for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It definitely helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall, and our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday with another amazing guest, because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.